And I wanted to kind of backtrack into some of this and just to kind of tie up the end of Romans 11. To me, it's a real, it's a real difficult, it's a real difficult chapter. I think to read, to understand, to teach. Um, and I at times have said, "Who was it who wanted me to teach through Romans?" And I would look at the person who was the most vocal, and and then she would just kind of. But <laughs> anyway, so but yeah, this is this is a a real it's real difficult. Um, I'm going to jump way ahead of myself and throw this out here. I think part of why we have in verse three of chapter twelve what we have there, this idea of of the grace given. Uh, where, where Paul says, for by the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, uh, based on what he's just told us. Again, there are some commentators and teachers who say that the, there are breaks. I, I, I see this as a flow of, of, of Paul just, the, he, he has said what he needs to say, and I'm going to go back and say, kind of cap this up tonight in of chapter 11. The end of chapter 11, he breaks out in this incredible expression of praise, and then in that, he calls us to a life of worship on a practical day-to-day basis, which we see in verse 1, which we'll, we'll look at a little bit more um, this Wednesday. But Kind of backtracking into verse 26, we didn't really cover that a great deal uh, last Wednesday night, but, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak more along the lines of more of looking at this from a grand narrative perspective rather than drilling into the individual words uh, like I did on Sunday. Sunday I was looking at, um, I was looking at the trees, so tonight I'm, I'm more looking at the forest. If that, if that makes any sense. So I'm looking at this with, with a little bit more of a kind of a backing up a little bit uh, rather than the real close-up view. But, but the, the thinking on some of this is, was Israel chosen? Yes, they were. Were they, according to Scripture, God claims them. He uses this title for them as is what? His firstborn. Um, they were chosen. They were his firstborn. That's Exodus 4. And yet, the Messiah comes along, whom their prophets have prophesied about, whom their law had even prophesied about, and even their writings. There's actually three in the Hebrew Scriptures. I don't think I've ever talked about this much, but in the Hebrew Scriptures, there's three distinct um, types of, of literature in, in the Hebrew Scriptures, otherwise known as what? The Old Testament. There's the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. And so the Law is the first five books. It's Torah. The Prophets, that's pretty self-explanatory. It's all the Prophets. And then the Writings are all the, the, the wisdom literatures, Psalms, Proverbs, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, um, Song of Solomon, uh, one or two uh, that are that are thrown in there as well, but also in the in the Hebrew scriptures, they um, I'm going to tax my memory here. They don't have 33 books in the Hebrew Bible. 
I believe it's, um, I want to say 27, but I think that's the New Testament that's ringing out in my head. But they have less than that. For, for example, the first and second Kings, that's just one book. First and second Samuel, one book. Uh, actually, Judges is tacked on to first and second Samuel as well. Uh, no, excuse me. Judges is tacked on to Joshua. Okay. Um, Lamentations and Jeremiah are, con- are one book. Why would you think that would be the case? A bullfrog. Okay. How about something a lot more simpler than that? It was written by the same guy. Which is interesting, though, because one is considered prophetic writing. The other is considered a writing. Wisdom literature. So... Um, so th- those were some of the things that were, and the, the minor prophets were all under one book. Yes, you know, uh, like um, all the little ones, they're not minor in their significance. They're minor in the size of their writings. You've heard the term major and minor prophets. They were called, the book was called the Twelve, incidentally, which I find fascinating because you have how many tribes? Thirteen, actually, but twelve. How many apostles? Twelve plus, but actually twelve, you know. Yeah, so um, so anyway, um, all of this was prophesying of the Messiah to come. God chose his people. God choose, chose his people because they were to be what? The light to the Gentiles. There's a problem with that, though. They didn't like Gentiles. And as I have told you many times, I love it, as they, t- they believed that the Gentiles were what? Kindling, right? To get that fire started, okay? The fires of hell, get them nice and hot. That's what the, that, that was what, so it was, you know, they had, they, had, they had the blind, Jesus said they were the blind leading the blind. And so, um, their Messiah comes. He even presents himself according to some who believe that an exact fulfillment of the day of prophecy in, out of the book of Daniel. Um, there's different views on that. So um, I know some of you love that one, but it, there's, it's not all hand in glove, okay? But... Um, but nonetheless, he presents himself to the nation, and the people accept him. But the leaders reject him. But, but I, I, I love, I love what, what John said. In John chapter 1, this just kind of popped in my head, so I'm going to read to you. He says, he came to his own, and his own believed him not. But as many as received him, I'm still trying to get there, as many as received him, to them, he gave the power to be the children of God. Uh, John chapter 1, let me find it for you. Um, thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. Yeah, I would have been half the night going, where is it? It's hiding. I found it, though. But so then the calling goes out to the individual. The focus or the emphasis then 
is shifted away from national Israel to individuals. Because essentially when a, before the time of the Messiah, if someone wanted to convert to and, and follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it required for them to be what? Circumcised and become a Jew, essentially. So, um, no longer the calling upon the nation, but now the calling on the individual with the emphasis primarily toward the nations. Before, the emphasis was on the nation of Israel. Now, the emphasis is on the nations, which my New King James translates Gentiles. And you could... You it's either way works. It's the word ethnos in the, in the Greek. And so the calling is to the individual, but the emphasis, do you see the difference? It's slight, but it's significant. Because was there a calling to an individual before the Messiah? Yes, I do believe there was. And, and uh, even the Jews in the time of Jesus, they understood this in part uh, when they referred to Gentiles that followed the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what did they refer to them as? God-fearers. Cornelius um, was one in the book of Acts, for example. So the emphasis now on the Gentiles to provoke Jews into what? Jealousy. So, so that though the Jews, by their jealousy, and as I mentioned before, jealousy is such an uncomfortable emotion, isn't it? Now, I don't know, because I've never been jealous of anybody or anything. But no, um, uh, good thing Bonnie isn't here. I just lied in, in church, as she likes to say. But anyway, um, but jealousy, particularly if, if, if you've been in the faith for a while, I think we still experience it, but it's, it's one of those, it's a, it, it cuts you, because you're like, I feel this way, I acknowledge I feel this way, I don't want to feel this way. Now, what do I got to do to not have this feeling? And what it does is it causes you to look inward. I think among, among all those emotions, uh, because God declares himself as what? A jealous God. Now, there is a world of difference between a godly jealousy and human jealousy, all right? I understand that. But... Um, I see it as an emotion that can lead to sin, not necessarily an emotion that is a sin. Does that make, does that make any sense? You know, it's like you feel jealous, but now what are you going to do about it? Well, was, was Cain jealous of Abel? Yeah, so what did he do about it? He sinned. And, and what did God say to him before he killed Cain? If, if you are um, about a sacrifice, if, if, if he says, what was the, the question that he asked? Um, if you do not do good, will you not be accepted? And, and, and Cain was so infuriated, I think, with his jealousy that he let that get the best of him. And he didn't, he, that was his, Forgive the expression, but that was his moment where he could have gotten right with God. I think, I think God was trying to bring him back right then and there, and he just said, I'm not doing this. Um, 
So they're jealous to provoke them so that that emotion gets worked in their heart and the Holy Spirit has a chance to use that emotion to draw them to him, to cause them to receive the Messiah, their Messiah. So, and, 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 and so if, if Israel had, had, had accepted the gospel from the very start, it would have been a, now think about this a second. It would have been pretty much a smooth and seamless transition from, from and, and um, can you help me out on this one? If you think at like a dispensationalist, you go from the age of law to the age of grace, right? Thank you. Brian, help me out. Okay, we're good. Um, we're good. Thanks, Ken. But, and I, I don't really subscribe to those categories because uh, I always believe we've always been under grace, always will be under grace, it's always been about grace. But, but nonetheless, um, we do relate to God differently. We did relate to God differently in that time as we do in this time. But if the Jews had wholesale, let's say, accepted the gospel back then, uh, now, there are some who believe, well, then Christ would have come and he would establish his kingdom. I don't believe that. But, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Uh, obviously, that was not in the plan of God anyway. So, but if they had received the gospel, I, I think it really would have been easy for them to ab- ab- ha- have assumed where, what they already were. And that was they were in a position of entitlement because they were God's chosen people. Again, what were Gentiles good for? Keeping hell nice and hot. Probably not. Now, again, this is, is, we're, we're dealing with what ifs here. So your mileage may vary. The ice is a little thin. Okay, and, 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 and this, is, this is a theory of trying to understand why it was that God allowed the Jews to reject him, raised up the Gentiles, and, and, and um, to provoke the Jews, because eventually, what are we going to read here in, in uh, verse 31 and 32? God has committed them all to disobedience so that he might have mercy on all. To a degree, yes. To a degree, yes. Brian, did you have something? Were you just adjusting your glasses? Okay, excellent. I'll adjust mine too then. There we go. Um, Tim, that wasn't necessary. No, I'm kidding. Everybody's doing it now. All right. Um, so, and, and what that would have been possibly, if you look at Romans 11, verse 6, where it says, if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, works is no longer work. It's a tongue, it's a mind twister. But what had happened during the time of Jesus was that particularly the Pharisees and, and, and actually the Sadducees to, to, to a degree as well 
but they had taught as the precepts of God the traditions of men. God laid out for them a very a very pure system for how they were to approach God, how were they how they were to worship God. Um, they had 613 laws they had to keep. But of course they were not saved by keeping the law, but if they broke the law they did have to offer a sacrifice, but they were still saved by grace. But they started taking this this system of 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 worship and and it became a system of works. It became the traditions of men. And that's that's where in some of the the early early writings of the rabbis where they they would in, they would interpret the law in so many ways and, and they had they they'd have all these loopholes of of you know one of them was the Sabbath day journey. Now on the Sabbath what was the problem with going somewhere on the Sabbath? You weren't resting. You were you were breaking the, the commandment. But so then they came up with this idea of a Sabbath day journey. Remember when Jesus was, was asking someone to come and follow me and, and, and uh, they had this idea of Corban. And this one guy refused to follow Jesus because he hadn't buried his mother and father. And, and um, he, he had that which was set aside supposedly for his parents. But in fact, it wasn't for his, you know, might not have been for his parents. But they had all these little rules that really negated the grace of God. Why? Because if you kept all the rules, and you'd have to be pretty busy. I imagine you must have had a long day. With me, I would have ran out of sheep and goats and turtle doves and you name it, bulls and a, a long time ago. But Paul has already told us earlier in the book of Romans that by the works of the law shall no flesh be what? Justified. But some, of course they hadn't read Romans, but some sought to be justified by their works anyway. Have you met people who, have you met Christians like that? or people who claim to be Christians, or some of this is above my pay grade, but people who may very well, in fact, be of the faith, but then they have turned toward a works religion. That's what the book of Galatians is all about, by the way. So that, this is nothing new. Uh, that, that came in very early. Um, and so... Instead of this apparent possible seamless transition from Judaism to following the Messiah, they did not believe, and the word went out to the nations. And, and, and what Paul is underscoring here, um, particularly in verses 31 and 32, is that all humans, both Jews and Gentiles, are sinful. Uh, Galatia, uh, Romans 3, 3, 19 and 20, 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And, and so to come into the family of God, to be grafted into the tree, one can only do it by grace and God's mercy alone. Period. You can't earn it. And, and it's as if, and I'm still hypothesizing here, okay? It is as if God had to do this to make a clean break from a system that had become totally corrupted by those who were teaching as the precepts, precepts of God the traditions of men. And that's where it's, and I, I think as a church, we can fall into that. I think the church at times have fallen into that. Have you ever read much about New England Puritans? Uh, wow. Um, some of the most incredibly godly, godly spiritual stuff that was ever written on this continent was written by them. And some of the most legalistic, nasty, really from the pit of, of hell, was written by them as well. Um, you should read the Scarlet Letter, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Uh, it'll open your eyes. Have you, you read it? Yeah. Yeah, it'll open your eyes to Puritanism. Really, I read it in the master's program. Um, anyway. Um, so... Paul then brings together three different passages. I'm, I'm going back to 26, 27. Essentially, he's referring to them. He's grabbing bits and pieces from these three passages. Those passages are Isaiah 59, verse 20. I will slow down for those. Of you. Okay, Jeremiah 31. 33 and 34, and I got them a little out of order, Isaiah 27, 9 also. So Isaiah 59, 20, Jeremiah 31, 33, 34, and Isaiah 27, 9. And they're, they're bits and pieces. I almost called up Ken and said, Ken, I need to borrow your copy of the Septuagint uh, this afternoon. Because I, I, I need to get a copy of that. Um, because these are, he's grabbed bits and pieces from the Septuagint. When we read, uh, and he kind of, some of it word for word, some of it just concepts. Where he says in verse 26, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from, from Jacob. From this is for, excuse me, verse 27, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, essentially, who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about what Jesus is going to do with the Jews. It's a reference to Jacob, which is an interesting, because there's some interesting views about when God uses Jacob and when God uses Israel, and sometimes, uh, and they're not always real consistent, but sometimes he's talking about Jacob when they are the, the kind of the fallen away people, and sometimes when he's talking about Israel, which means what? Governed by God. Jacob means what? Heel catcher. We named our son that. Um, but anyway, um, and, well, it, you know, 
um, heel catcher. Right, Bill and Clay could stand up, we'll demonstrate. No, anyway. Um, so, so in Isaiah 59, 20, I'll just read it for me. This is of the New King James. It says, the Redeemer will come to Zion and those who turn from transgression in Jacob, uh, says the Lord. The Redeemer will come from Zion and those who turn from transgression in Jacob. Um, Zion is a representation of where or what or both. Jerusalem, particularly where the Lord reigns. Um, Psalm 2. Um, it's a reference to Psalm, Psalm 2. Now, if the deliverer, what's interesting is New King James says the Redeemer will come to Zion. Paul says here the deliverer will come out of Zion. A little bit different in the preposition. Um, and the, the Septuagint that I finally was able to look at, it sounds, reads more like the New King James, actually. Uh, but the idea, again, he's not quoting word for word. He's grabbing concepts. Now, why can he do that? Or can he do that? Is he cheating? What are we reading here out of Romans? The inspired word of God. Okay, so he... If he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants with his word, right? Now, we better be careful. Because I, yeah, I, I made my point. Okay, anyway. Um, the deliverer will come out of Zion. Well, if he comes out of Zion, where is he going? He's going to the nations. See, Twenty-six and twenty-seven isn't just about Israel, but it is about that shift of emphasis that I talked about earlier. The emphasis before the Messiah was on Israel, although the calling was to whosoever. At least I believe that. Now the emphasis is to the Gentiles, although the calling is to Jew and Gentile alike. Although most of the Jews still reject reject the gospel. So there's the shift where the, where the deliverer will come out of Zion. We did touch on this last week because Larry brought up, this, brought up the idea that this sounds like the millennium, and I would agree with you. We did look at Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14 uh, last week uh, just kind of to tack on to support some of this idea. Um, and then Jer- Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 31, it says, But I will make a covenant with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, and I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and they, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Uh, no more shall every man teach his neighbor, uh, and every brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin will be remembered no more. Well, he will turn their ungodliness away from Jacob. He will take away their sins, Romans eleven twenty seven. Again, but if the, the, the deliverer is coming forth from Zion, he's going somewhere. He's talking about his mission. And again, so as I think about this, and I will just throw this out here because this is unbaked, or at least I haven't baked it long enough, okay? I think the millennium is going to look a whole lot different than we think, guys. I'll just throw that out there and let you dwell on it. I think it's going to look much different than we think. 
yeah, yeah. And, and yet there seems to be this sense of outreach still taking place. So, um, and it, it's, you know, Jesus will, I believe Jesus will rule and reign from Zion. And, and he will fulfill that, those prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled concerning Israel um, without going into a, a long, detailed explanation that I barely understand myself, okay? Um, in some respects, he, he does, admit, you know, we see this in Scripture, the Messiah represents Israel. He personifies Israel. He identifies with Israel in that way as well. Out of, Is, out of Egypt, I have what? I have called my son. That's just one example. That's spoken about in Matthew, um, referring to the Messiah. Earlier, it's, it's a quote from one of the prophets, referring to the nation of Israel. Um, so, and then Isaiah 27, 9, it says, Therefore, by this, the iniquity of Jacob will be covered, and this is all the fruit of, of taking away his sin when he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones that are beaten to dust, wooden images and incense altars shall not stand. So it's this elimination of an idolatrous practice, which I don't keep up with modern-day Israel a whole lot, but kind of the last I checked, there is a the minority or Orthodox Jews, but they're a very strong minority, they have a lot of influence, but then there's, a, then there's a very, very small minority that are actually born again, believing in the Messiah, Christians, and then a lot of them are just, they're humanists, or they're New Agers, or they're, you know, they don't really have a real strong religious identity. Yeah, to some degree, probably. I mean, for what I've heard of Israel, it's a nice place to live. And so, you know, compared to Poland, uh, <laughs> or especially, let's, let's backtrack 70, 70 years. Yeah, that, if I had a chance of getting out of Europe and going, going to the Holy Land, I'd have done it, you know, for sure, you know. So, yeah, I, I think there's that nationalism as well because it's this idea of them coming into their, into their land. And then this incredible effort, and I think God had his hand, has had his hand on them, but this incredible effort to defend it and to keep it. Um, but, uh, but, but I think what this is, is, is talking about is, although while the deliverer will come from Zion, uh, this path to salvation, um, this taking away of the sin, uh, is is focusing more just, and again, you have to include the f- the fullness of what God has declared in the Old Testament with the <coughs> Israel supposedly being a light or was called to be the light to the nations. They were never meant to be exclusive, and that's that was the problem. They became very exclusive very quickly, and and and. Um, 
yes, they had to go into the promised land, and yes, they had to, to basically eliminate people groups and, and all of that uh, at the command of God, but, but they were called to be the light to the world. And, and, and so all of Israel, which, as I brought up before, all does not mean every single each individual, or at least in the Bible, it doesn't mean each every single individual. There are some people who believe all means absolutely every single one of them. Um, but concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, and concerning election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Who are whom? Who are the fathers? Yeah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it, it what's significant about the fathers? We just read it in verse 27. They had covenant. And the covenant that God made with Abraham, repeated with Isaac and then with Jacob, was an irrevocable covenant according to what we read when God, uh, Genesis 17, when God Abraham split the animals in two, God caused a deep sleep to come upon Abraham, and then he walked came in the form of a smoking furnace and he walked between the animals and he declared the covenant. Essentially, that walking between the animals was the equivalent to signing his name, if you will, on the contract. And, in, and, and it was a, that was a common way that two parties would come into agreement, but for two parties to come into agreement, what would have had to have taken place? They both would have walked through together. But God causes a deep sleep to come upon Abraham. He walks between the animals together, signifying that he and he alone will be the one who is responsible to keep the covenant. So he makes it with Abraham, repeats it, and, and continues it with, with Isaac. And again, so you have, you have God choosing this man who will be the father of great nation, father of many nations, that in all him, in him all the nations would be, there we go, blessed. Why? Because from him will come the Messiah who will bless the nations. And, and so the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable, which is often quote. I've heard that quoted. I've heard this. I've heard this quoted a few times. And usually, when I'm in an argument, um, I think there are times when. I think there are times when a pastor, if he does certain things he probably ought to do something else. That's my opinion. And, and I've, I've been a part of a couple of imploding churches. Um, and, I, I re- and we were actually going to move three hours away. I was on staff and the guy imploded. Um, and I was talking with somebody about it who was one of his good friends, and I said, you know, I think maybe he just needs to find something else to do. 
oh, no, the gifts and the callings are irrevocable. And it's like, have you read Romans 11 lately? No, probably not. But anyway, but it sounded good. Um, And yes, that does apply on an individual level to a degree. And by the way, I don't think, I, I mean, I've known some pastors that have, they have blown it majorly. And I've seen a consistent lifestyle of repentance, and I would have no uh, reservations to recommend them. So I don't, I don't, I'm not quite that rigid, okay? Just kind of rigid. No, anyway. <laughs> right, Mary? Never mind. Anyway, uh, so, and then it gets for you were, you were once disobedient to God, uh, but yet you have ob- obtained mercy, okay? Uh, and even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you that they may obtain mercy. For God is committed, or <clears throat> some of your your, your, your Bibles have in the margin, God has shut them up. That works. Bound old men over. Confined. Right? God has confined all men over to disobedience. Does that sound strange? Why? Is that what it says, though? I know it feels that way, but is that what it says? I don't... I don't. And, and that's where it's... Is, if that can't... Boy, I've got like, so many responses to that, Clay. I don't even know where to start. But, but I think what you hit on was important because is, that a, is it the chicken or the egg? Now, God is not the author of sin. James is really clear. Let no one who, when they are tempted, say, I am tempted by God. Who tempts no one? All right. Now, here's my dilemma. Because I, I believe very strongly in God's sovereignty. All right? And sometimes his foreknowledge can, can, be, can be a convenient escape hatch. I don't know if it's always applicable. But did God foreknow that man would do this? Therefore, he's, he's, he's uh, if all things, Romans 8, same book. If all things work together for good, uh, for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose... If all of those things work together for good, that would tell me that even my disobedience would work together for good because I have been called and I love God and, and, and God will work those things out. And essentially, um, the exchanging of beauty for ashes Gives him what? It it does. It it does because you know, you know, wrapped up this. I'm not getting too Arminian on you, but wrapped up in this is is free will. Now, 
I even thought about our little exchange here. I asked a question. I didn't force you to answer it. And then once you started to answer it, I started drawing some more things out, right? We started amplifying and kind of expanding up upon what we believe this passage is saying. But I, I, didn't, I didn't put any thoughts in your head, did I? I hope not. Anyway. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's really a hard thing to really, to me, it's really hard for me to really grab a hold of this because God creates the universe. And what did he say in Genesis? What did he keep saying about the creation, in the creation account, that God saw and it was? Now, we, we, we have really, we forget that. The problem is, is that humans came in and they sinned. Yeah, he knew it was going to happen. Which, to me, that's, this is where I'm starting to blow fuses here. But anyway, yes, he knew it was going to happen because the reality is, if I were God, that's when I would, I would have been, it would have been fourth and long. I'd have punted. I would have punted, and I would have kicked the earth on the other side of the universe. So to have a good day, you know. And, and but, there, you have to think that just like covenant that we just read about, there's a sense of commitment that God has to his promises. And, and in, in going through the process of creation, now, and I, I think my idea of saying I would have punted, um, it doesn't even do God's thinking justice because not only did he create the earth, but he created the solar system for the earth. He created the universe where the solar system, you know, I mean, so much went into creation that was good. God, who is faithful, even spite of sin, makes covenant by himself, Genesis 17, with man, and this means of drawing them to himself is he confines them in disobedience. Now, this word disobedience is also interesting because this is a bit of a stretch, and I did more reading on this than you probably even care about, but it could also, it, it, could, it, it implies disbelief, not just disobedience. I think, yeah, I think in that regard, yes. Um, correct, yeah. With, because of our unrighteousness, he is able to show his mercy. And the thing is, is um, now, it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Paul said that in Romans too, okay? So, but if we live in disbelief, if we live in disobedience, we essentially, Galatians, be not deceived. God is not mocked. 
whatsoever a person sows, that which he will also reap. So if you live a life of disobedience and, and, and um, unbelief, you're sowing. It, 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 you can't help but to do so. We all sow. We're all farmers, essentially. And eventually, that which we commit ourselves toward, it doesn't stay static. It, it grows. It, 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 and even in some cases, takes on a life of its own. And I, most of the people that I know, I mean, there are exceptions. Most of the people I know, they did not become Christians because they were on a winning streak. We laugh. Now, now there are, there are exceptions of people who grew up in a nice, godly Christian home, and, and they learned to love Jesus at a very early age, and... and um, they accepted Christ at an early age. I became a Christian at an early age, although I grew up in not really a godly home. But anyway, um, I remember Mary talking about how she just really wanted the love of God. The kindness of God was really a, a, an, an attraction to her because she didn't have anything else. You know, she her her life was horrible growing up. And, and, and so there is... And, and that's what I tell people from time to time when they're dealing with someone who they really want, especially teenagers. <laughs> so, especially teenagers. You know, you know. It, sometimes you gotta. Sometimes the best thing we can do is hand them a shovel and let them keep digging in. <laughs> you know, and and you know. Um, how many alcoholics do you know who got sober and decided, you know what, I think today's the day. No, usually they were on a terrible losing streak. That's how they ended up in AA or NA or whatever A, you know. I mean, and so, so, wow. It all goes back to choices. It does. So that's kind of the confining. And we, we saw this. Now think about this. A few minutes. There's a clock back there. Okay, because we're out of time. But um, we saw this in Romans in chapter 9. And, and the language and the exchange that we really went back to the book of Exodus concerning whom? Pharaoh who hardened his heart. Remember the change in the structure of the grammar in the Hebrew? Pharaoh hardened his heart, so God essentially says, and this is probably a poor paraphrase, but it's the best I got for you. If this is what you want, then this is what you get. He was confined in disobedience. Did he ever have room to repent? I think he did. I think he did. He didn't want to. Did he know that it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that was doing this stuff to him? Yes, he did. So, um, committed them to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. And then this incredible expression of worship. I'm not going to repeat it. We looked at it the Sunday before last. And then 
Because of that, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of service. In light of what I just told you, in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And then he'll cap it off. I don't think we're going to get here on Sunday, but he'll cap it off in saying, not to think of yourself more highly than he ought. Is, did he just throw that in there? No, I think it's directly related to what he just taught us in 9, 10, 11, and I'll, we'll unpack that probably next week. So we're good? Okay, we're good. All right. Let's pray. Oh, first, does anybody have any questions? Fingers, fingers crossed behind my back, but no. Does anybody have any questions? I, I think, again, this is difficult.